In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear saints, when Christians who have stopped going to church altogether are asked about the reason they're not coming anymore, uh, more often than not, they'll say, I haven't been in a while, but I still have faith. I still believe. When those outside of the church who self-identify as Christians endure something traumatizing, and when I visit and ask, how are you doing, nine times out of ten, they respond by saying, well, you know, pastor, I'm doing good, I have faith. And when I see parents lament the fact that their children no longer read the Bible, that they no longer hear God's word in church, or that they no longer receive the Lord's Supper for their forgiveness, they often try to comfort themselves by saying, look, my child has faith. I know they do, and they believe. Now, as Christians, we know a lot about faith. In fact, faith is essential to being a Christian. You can't be a Christian without faith. It's what makes you a Christian. So at first glance, uh, these responses sound quite pious, and they sound kind of comforting to us. And when we hear someone say things like this, we think, ah, good. Uh, I'm, I'm glad they still have faith. I'm glad they still believe. But if we look deeper, we realize that this isn't as comforting as we once thought. And there's a major problem here. To say, I have faith, is in fact an incomplete sentence. It's an unfinished thought. It's lacking the most important thing. So to say, I have faith, doesn't really make sense. To saying, I have faith, is just as nonsensical as saying, I bring, or I offer, or I have trust. These aren't complete sentences. Uh, they need an object. They need something else to complete it. You can't just bring or tell. You have to bring or tell something. You can't just have trust. You have to have trust in something or in someone. And so this is why I find it uh, strange that unbelievers make such a big deal out of Thanksgiving, even though Thanksgiving is not a Christian holiday. Uh, you can't just be thankful in general. You can't just be thankful or, or have that. Uh, you have to be thankful to someone, and you have to be thankful for something. It, it, it's, it's necessary. It's, it's needed to complete the whole thing. And so these are called transitive verbs. They're verbs that need something else. You can't do them without the object. They need an object. So the same goes with faith and belief. You can't just have faith. You have to have faith in something or in someone. You can't just believe for the sake of believing. You have to believe in something or someone. And the question is then, in what do you believe? And what do you have faith in? Having faith alone doesn't mean that you're a Christian. Because you can have faith in anything. You can put your faith in money. You can put your faith in popularity, in your works, in your decisions, in your conduct, your behavior. You can put faith in, in a, another false god. You can put faith in an idol. Faith in anything. And people do put their faith in a lot of different things. But here's the catch. You can't know what they put their faith in unless they say so, if that makes sense. In other words, you can't see faith in the heart. 
As a pastor, I can't look out here and see who of you has faith and who of you don't. But what we can do is hear a confession. Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Uh, So I'm going to go on a little excursus here, uh, maybe uh, just a few seconds here. But some people get upset that we take seriously the words of 1 Corinthians 11 by practicing closed communion. And the usual response is, look, this is really unloving, and pastor, uh, you're just like anybody else. You can't see anyone's heart. And my response is, exactly. That's precisely the point. Since I can't know what's in anyone's heart, I have to hear their confession. I have to hear what they say is in their heart, and I have to take them at their word. So I have to ask them questions. I have to hear what they believe and decide if what they are saying matches and is in accord with the Word of God. And if there is an agreement there, then wonderful, they receive the Lord's Supper for their benefit. This is a joy. But if they confess anything contrary uh, to to God's Word, then I tell them, look, uh, I need to talk with you more. I need to teach you about what God's Word says and work towards making a good confession of the faith. And so I want the faith that you confess to be the same one that God revealed to you. And this is a good thing. So anyway, uh, the point here is that I can't know what people believe. I can only know what they confess. And the same goes for you. You can't know what, in, what is in anyone else's heart except for what they say, what they confess or profess out of their mouth. What you believe in your heart, you confess with your mouth, as the epistle reading says. So what do you believe? Instead of floundering around for words to articulate what you believe, and instead of reinventing the wheel every single time someone would walk up to you and say, hey, what do you believe in? uh, What do you have faith in? All the Christians who have ever lived before you put it into simple and clear words from the Bible, and they call it the creed. And the word creed comes from the Latin word credo, which means I believe. So when you confess the creed, you're not confessing what you have made up or you're not confessing what you think is true. You're not confessing what you want to be true. uh, And you're not confessing what you saw on the History Channel one time 12 years ago. You're confessing doctrine. You're confessing the truth. You're confessing what the Word of God says. So the creed is nothing more and nothing less than a summary of the the work of God in Holy Scripture taught to us in the Bible. So when you confess the creed, you're confessing the word of God. And when you're confessing confessing this, you're confessing what God thinks of you, what he has said to you, and what he does for you. We confess our faith in church. That's what we do. That's why we're here. When we're baptized, we confessed the Apostles' Creed. And if you were baptized as an infant, God gave you faith at your baptism. Even though you couldn't speak yet. So you couldn't confess the faith that He gave you with your own mouth. So therefore your parents and Godparents confess the faith that God is giving to you. And as you grew up, as you grow, they taught you to make a confession of the faith that God gave you in baptism. The faith that you are being baptized into. The faith that is going into your heart at God's word. And you learn to make a clear and pure confession of the faith at home from your parents and at church. So this is basically what the creed says. We're confessing what is in our heart. And what should be in our heart is what God has revealed to us. And so here in church and at home, 
you learn to confess that God made you in his own image. That he provides for all of your needs and cares for you as a dear child. You learn to confess that we fell into sin when our first parents disobeyed God's command. You learn to confess that Jesus came into this world to save sinners. That he took on flesh and was laid into a manger. That he lived a holy life and died a holy death. And that he did it as our substitute in our place. And that he forgives our sin. You learned to confess that he fulfilled the law for you. That he redeemed you from its power to accuse you. That he died and rose from the dead and intercedes to the Father for you. That he will return to judge the living and the dead. You learn to confess that the Holy Spirit brings you life by giving you the truth. And the true faith. Faith that receives forgiveness and peace and eternal life. And here, in his church, you learn that just as you didn't call yourself into existence... Neither did you call your faith in God into existence. Rather, he made you his Christian, his little Christ. He made you his child through his gospel and enlightened you with his gifts and kept you in the one true faith. If you're a Christian, if you're a member of this church, this is the good confession that you make every single Sunday, every single week. We confess this all together here at church. But here's the problem. We don't live at church. We live out there. We live in the world. And confessing God's word in church is easy because we're surrounded by others who are confessing the same exact thing. You're surrounded. It's, it's a wonderful gift of God. You're surrounded by people who believe the same thing that you believe. It's, it's amazing. But it's not the same way in the world. It's not the same way at your work or your employment. And it's not the same way in your neighbor's houses. The world believes something entirely different than what you believe. They have faith in something very, very different in another God. They have faith in money, in their success, in themselves or their good works, whatever it might be. They have faith in something but not Jesus. That's what makes them part of this world or that's what makes them worldly. So we should be bold to confess the truth even in a world that hates the truth and mocks those who confess it. And the truth is, we're not always that bold. Our faith wavers. If you're honest with yourself, you'll admit this. And so does your confession. And it wavers especially when you have to pay a price for what you believe. When our friends will mock us if we tell them what we really believe about God about sin, about the devil, and about Christ's return. That our co-workers will scoff at us if they see us pray or make the sign of the cross on ourselves or talk about church. Or our neighbors will call us bigoted and hateful for believing that the Bible is trustworthy and true. So consider yourself. Have you ever con failed to confess? Have you made the most of every single opportunity to tell people about the hope that you have in you? Or have you dropped the ball on that? Have you been bold in standing up for what's right? Or have you shrunk back from speaking the truth so that people don't look down on you? Or that they don't think you're weird or some crazy person? When you had the opportunity to tell someone what you truly believe and hear here in church... Did you feel embarrassed 
at their reaction? Did you feel embarrassed even to utter something to them? Did you keep your mouth shut when you should have said something? Do you have a list of good reasons why you didn't make a confession of the faith then? And are any of them real excuses? The answer is no. You could have confessed the faith, but you didn't. You're guilty of this, and I am too. Our faith is weak, and our confession falters when our faith falters. So do you think this is anything new? Do you think that we have it harder now than any generation before us? You're not alone in your failure and sin. So consider the apostles. They were put to death for their bold confession of Christ. Remember that Christianity was illegal and that the Colosseum was built for the purpose of making a spectacle of Christians to suffer and die. And yet there were many Christians who knew this and didn't shrink back from confessing the truth of God's word. They and the apostles made bold confessions of Christ and they are heroes of the faith. But how did they get there? How did they get to that point where they speak the word of God in the face of lions, in the face of being crucified upside down, in the face of being lit on fire? How did they have such a strong faith? How did they get to that point? How did it all begin? Well, consider this. What were they doing when Jesus was being crucified? They were denying Christ, their Lord and Savior. And yet, what was Jesus doing while they denied him? What was Jesus doing while they turned their back on him? While the disciples were shamefully denying Jesus, Jesus was gaining for them the full forgiveness of their shameful denial. While they turned their face from Jesus, Jesus was graciously turning the face of his Father toward them through his bitter suffering and death. While they were embarrassed to be associated with Jesus, Jesus hung naked upon the cross, bleeding and sighing and dying to clothe them with the righteousness not of their own, a righteousness that deserves eternal life. While they were sinning against Jesus, Jesus was forgiving them. And he was doing this for the entire world. And he was doing it for you. Remember that even while you have failed to confess Jesus as your Lord, as you should... Jesus has not once failed to confess you before the Father. And this should give you courage to confess the faith no matter what's at stake. Your goods, fame, child, and wife. Do this knowing that there will be days when you will confess your faith and you'll do it with sincerity and conviction and you'll do it with certainty. And then there are going to be days when you stumble and fall and when you drop the ball, when you, when you back off because you're embarrassed. When you're offended and you're brought low. But no matter how many times you stumble and fall, Jesus will lift you up again through his wounds to confess him even more. The Proverbs say, a righteous man falls seven times, but he gets up again. So if you've fallen and failed to confess the faith a thousand times before tonight, during the season of Advent, Jesus comes to you to lift you up with his forgiveness, to lift you up with his word and his love. He comes to strengthen your weak faith and your weak confession. And he comes to open your lips so that you may declare his praise. Amen. And for your gospel, let us dare to sacrifice old treasure. Teach us to bear your blessed cross, to find in you all pleasure. 
O grant us steadfastness and joy and distress, lest we, Lord, you forsake. Let us by grace partake of endless joy and gladness. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds. In Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen.